There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. Fear not, I am with thee. Peace be still in all of life's ebb and flow. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing. He's me singing as I go. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. We'll, we'll stop there. Just a brief, beautiful passage nearing the end of Revelation. Well, it's been said that the best teachers are also illustrators. Those that are able to draw out a concept or an idea and to put it on a whiteboard or to tell a story. I mean, you look at Jesus teaching throughout the scriptures. He would teach something and then tell a story about how this applies or how this looks in real life. Many of you probably remember your own teachers in high school and college who were able to illustrate things very, very well, right? Maybe you've played Pictionary and you found out that you're not a very good illustrator yourself. Uh, but I want to show you this morning that our God is a teacher. And he's a very, very good teacher because he's also an illustrator. Our God has given us many, many, many different pictures to show who he is and to show how he operates. And let me just run through a few of them. God has given order to the world. When we consider the galaxies and the stars and all of creation, how it's masterfully ordered and put together, we can't help but come to the realization that our God is a God of order and a creator who has masterfully painted this creation. God has given us family. We who've had good fathers in our lives know a little bit closer who God is because he's called himself a father. And so we can know a little better of who he is by that picture. God has hard hardwired in us hunger and thirst. We've got a meal after this. Some of you guys are already feeling the hunger and the thirst, right? And he's given us that so that we know exactly what Jesus means when he says, Come to me, all who are hungry, all who are thirsty. I'll give you something better than bread. God has given us feelings of deep love and sacrificial attention for one another, pointing us to his great love and his sacrificial attention towards sinners. God is, is so good at illustrating that he's 
automatically built in several pictures into the way we operate as a church so that we can see and savor one of the most important things, I'd say the most important thing in the scriptures, which is the gospel of his own son. When he gave his blood so that we sinners could be called clean. He's given us pictures to see and savor the cross of Jesus Christ. One of those you've probably heard of, right, is called baptism. Baptism. When, when someone, you know, who has had an experience with the Lord where they have been changed from the inside out, they've, they've met Christ, and then what do we do? We, we put them in this big pool of water, and we get them wet. We immerse them all the way, right? We dunk them. We're Baptists. And we do that on purpose, not to show that water is uh, an attribute that saves a person, or, or that the water we use is holy, but it's a picture of what God has already done. God gave His Son so that sinners could be baptized in His blood, washed, changed, made new, going under, symbolizing that your sins are, are gone, no more remembered, and rising into newness of life through the very res resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then what did He do? He gave us the Lord's Supper. He gave us this meal that Christians are supposed to take together, consisting of bread and some type of cup, right? He, he was sitting with his disciples on the night before he was to be crucified, and he told them to take that bread and to break it, and saying, this is my body, keep doing this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup, right, and they drank it. He says, keep doing this in remembrance of me. This is my blood that I'm pouring out for you. And so now when we take this meal, which we're going to do today in a little bit here, we get to see and savor a picture of the gospel of Jesus. He shed his blood and died for sinners. There's many other pictures, but the one I want to show you now is the picture of marriage. God has given marriage to show us the most important thing about himself, which is his sacrifice on the cross. God created marriage from the very beginning. And throughout the whole course of history, he's used it to teach us who he is. God chose to use the wedding of a man and a woman together as one flesh to illustrate what's taking place in the murder of his perfect, beloved son. The cross is God's engagement ring for sinners. Now, if you've not read the book of Revelation before, it might be a little bit confusing here. Uh, this is essentially a testimony of a man named John who was a disciple of Christ after he was persecuted and exiled out to an island called Patmos by himself. Christ, who had already risen from the dead and had been ascended back into heaven for a while, comes back to reveal himself to John and says, John, get out a piece of paper and a pen and start writing what I'm about to say. This is what is going on in the book of Revelation. I want to show you and tell you certain things that are to soon take place. Well, 19 chapters later, we're at the end of this great story, all that Jesus has been teaching and, and we see from the beginning, right, God created an earth. God created people. He created people to enjoy their maker, to enjoy creation. And, and, and instead of enjoying him, we rebelled against him. If you've heard the story, right, Adam and Eve in the garden, we sinned and we fell away from the presence of our maker. And therefore, we now became separate 
from God. Because God in His holiness cannot dwell in the place of sinners, in the place of wicked, in the place of evil. But God still loved His people that He made. And through a whole bunch of things that took place over many, many, many years, God has been preparing mankind for a wedding that will take place at the end of that story. Jesus talks about this wedding in Matthew 22 and Matthew 25. God gave many prophets in the Old Testament to speak about the husbandry, the bridegroom of a Savior who would soon come and restore our broken matrimony with God. But what do we have in chapter 19 now? We've got this heavenly praise, right? What are they doing? The voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, the sounding peals of thunder. They're crying out. They're singing hallelujah. Why? Well, Christ, right before that, has, has just judged what he calls the great prostitute who sat on a scarlet beast, which is some great city of some kind. There's been many interpretations here. I'm not going to get into that. The point is that this wicked, influential people who appeared to have reigned over all the earth has now been defeated. Jesus wins, right? So they're excited. They're singing. They're praising the one who truly reigns over all the earth and has come to make all things new. Justice has been served. The good and righteous king is proving to be the only king. And this is their song in verse 6. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. Let's stop there for a second, right? Like I said, spoiler alert, who wins at the end? Jesus is going to win, right? No king of earth, president, ruler, or any other power of authority will reign and govern the earth forever like the Lord our God, the Almighty. He is the victorious one, and we who are in Christ will one day join the roar of waters and thunder, singing over his great power and glory. You may not be a singer now, but in the great day of the banquet, the wedding, we who are in Christ will be singing. Because not only has the Lord our God, the Almighty, won over evil and sin and wickedness and all hell itself, but this is the inauguration of a great wedding day. Isn't that what it says? We stop sh just shy at the end of verse 7. Why? What, what ha what's happening? For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Now, notice how they're singing. They don't call this the wedding of God, the wedding of the Almighty. They, they, they know who they're praising, but when they mention the wedding, they, they, what's the pronoun? The Lamb. The wedding of the Lamb. Not the king, not the conqueror, the Lamb. Our God did not conquer sin and evil by simply forgiving it. Our God is righteous and just. He cannot overlook sin. And in His great love for sinners, He made a way for justice and mercy to meet simultaneously on the cross. See, God came into the world through the man, Jesus Christ. After generations and generations and generations of sin, and God made a law of atonement that, that we could be made right with God after sin by slaughtering a what? A lamb. An animal, a pure, spotless, young babe. An animal must be killed with the hand of the priest on its head, transacting the sin into the animal so that we could be spared from what we truly deserved. Now this went on for generations, but 
finally, once and for all, God gave the best of all sacrifices. In his compassion, in his mercy, he came into the world himself to be the great marriage lamb. The lamb who would die once and for all so that any and all sinners from every tribe, tongue, and nation could call on him, believe in him, and be saved not only from one sin, but from all sins today and tomorrow's sins. This is what he has done. The, the, the Son of God was placed on a sinner's tree, enduring the just and righteous judgment that we should have received. The skies went black. The earth began to quake. The Son of God cried out, It is finished. It's done. God had accepted this once and for all sacrifice for sins. The Son of God had become the Lamb of God. And three days later, the Lamb rose from the dead in glorious victory, showing power over sin, death, and hell forever. He conquered sin and evil by Dying. By dying. And then he rose from the dead. Why? Because he had a bride to claim. He was not going to leave her at the altar. He rose from the dead, showing victory and going to get his bride. Marriage points us to the true husband, the Lamb of God, who gave his life for sinners and is redeeming us and wooing us to himself. But who's the bride? Who's the bride? What does it say? For the marriage of the Lamb has come, this is verse 7, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. It says that the bride has made herself ready. She's wearing pure, white, fine linens. She is clothed with. The scripture describes their singing. It says that they're, they're talking about the righteous deeds of the saints. So who's the bride then? Those clothed in fine linen with righteous deeds who are called his saints. How have they made themselves ready? They've become saints. They're the set apart ones of God that God has made holy, that God has purified. They've been made pure by the work of another. They've come out of the domain of darkness and into the domain of light. They're the called out ones of God. This is the church he's talking about. Jesus loves the church so much that he died for her to cleanse her, to betroth himself to her, and to redeem her in the great wedding day. And so again, but I ask, because we need to ask, who's the church then? This is important, right? How can we be sure that we are considered the bride of Christ? Who is the church? How do we know that we are wearing the, the very engagement ring of Christ on the cross? The bride consists of those who have been made righteous by the blood. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. These are the saints. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The scriptures are very clear that there is no other entrance into this wedding feast. It is only by the sacrifice of the Lamb. And I want to read to you. It comes a little bit later. You can listen. You can flip there. Revelation 21. Listen to what it says. Then I saw a new heaven 
and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed, the sea was no more, and I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as what? A bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who, sat, or who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down for these are the words. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. This is what the true bride can expect in the great wedding day. This is what Adam and Eve should have lived with through all of eternity. But in our brokenness of sin, we mess that up, right? But God has come to restore what's been broken and to make all things new. A holy matrimony between him and his people. The great covenant that he repeats over and over and over in the Old Testament. I will be your God, you will be my people, and we're going to dwell together. We're going to live together in the same camp. The one who conquers will have this heritage. But Alicia and Brian really want me to make verse 8 very clear as well. What does verse 8 say? But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The bride of Christ is not everybody everywhere. The bride of Christ is a distinct, set-apart people who have been washed in the righteous robes of Jesus. As for those who go on in unrepentant sin cowardly running away from the cross rather than to it, committing all these various types of immoral things that blaspheme the name of our God, there is no wedding day for them to anticipate. But only the great horrors of divorce and absence away from their great groom. I know we've got a lot of family members here today. We've got a lot of visitors, a lot of folks who love Alicia and Brian. They want you to celebrate with them. They want you to, to enjoy this day and, and to, to eat and, and have a wonderful celebration of, of a wedding. But more than anything, they want you to be prepared for the wedding. That's what they want more than anything. And that's what this preacher's heart wants more than anything. We ended... Chapter 19, at verse 9, what did the angel say to John at the very end of this time of worship? He said, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
Again, you're going to watch Brian and Alicia get married in just a few minutes. Neither of them, neither of them want to, to just have a hunky-dory love story day. This is a day for the gospel to be pictured and painted clear as day so that your eyes can be opened and behold it and you might receive that great invitation to the wedding of God. But here's the thing. He's not going to marry people who are too good and too busy for his banquet. That's what Jesus says. There's a great banquet coming. And Jesus said that the disciples needed to go out into the highways and the hedges because the people who are too good for him won't come. So my question is, are you invited and are you prepared? Jesus invited in that text the poor, the crippled, the lame, those who were poor and needy. Friends, we've sinned against a holy God. I think that makes us poor and needy. Oh, that you would see your brokenness this morning before the wedding day comes. What we're going to do now is invite um, Alicia's daughter, Bree, to come and, and sing a, a good old hymn, one of my favorites. There is a fountain filled with blood. And as she sings, I want you all to, to really reflect on your own relationship with Christ, whether you have been washed in this great fountain that's been provided, or whether uh, an invitation has not been received in your heart and in your soul. We are either righteous or we are sinners. And so I pray that you would use this moment to see and savor the gospel that Christ has pictured for us so clearly in his word. Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.